Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on September 25th, 2016, on the basis of Mark 10, verses 2 through 16. Marriage is a trap. You've no doubt heard that before, right? And I'm sure it would come as no surprise to you to hear that a quick internet search reveals all kinds of articles out there from people who basically take that position. People who argue that marriage will rob you of your independence, marriage will rob you of your happiness, marriage is more than likely to end up in divorce, and so then it will rob you of half of your wealth and half of your property. For those and many, many other reasons, people argue and believe that marriage is a trap. Well, what I'm hoping to convince you of today is that they're right. Of course, not in all the ways that they think marriage is a trap, but that marriage is a trap nonetheless. And here's what I mean by that. That if marriage really is this wonderful blessing from God, as it certainly is, then it should come as no surprise to us that the devil would try and take that blessing and use it against us. That he would try and take that blessing and turn it into a curse. That he would take that thing that God intended to be this wonderful, precious gift and he would turn it into a trap. It's exactly what is going on in the verses that are in front of us today. This group of Pharisees who were the religious leaders in Jesus' day came to Jesus with a question that they considered to be a trap. They asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now realize that in Jesus' day, realize that as they asked that question, they had in their mind a very specific Bible verse, a verse from the book of Deuteronomy, where it said that a man could divorce his wife if he found something indecent about her. And so in Jesus' day, there were two completely different viewpoints about what that verse meant. There was one viewpoint that said that the indecent thing being talked about in that verse could only be talking about adultery. In other words, if the husband or if the wife was unfaithful to her husband, that and only that would give him the grounds to pursue a divorce. We might call that the strict view of what that verse meant. But then there was another view about that verse, a view that said that really anything could qualify as an indecent thing that a husband would find in his wife. For example, if the wife cooked dinner and she burnt it, or he found a woman that was more attractive and more appealing to him than she was, then those things too would give him grounds and reason to file for divorce. We might call that the lax view of that verse. And so by bringing this question to Jesus, the Pharisees thought that they would force Jesus to pick one view or the other and thereby immediately alienate the group of people who had the other view. In other words, they were hoping to cut Jesus' popularity in half. They thought they had him trapped. Call me crazy, but does that sound like vaguely familiar? A society that is divided about marriage? A society that kind of has two competing views about 
everything related to marriage from, from what it is to whom it's for to how you're supposed to get into it to how you're supposed to get out of it and that there would be toward all of those questions one viewpoint that, that's sort of strict that we might call, I don't know, the conservative view and then there's also a viewpoint about all of those things that we might say is a little bit more lax that we might call, oh, I don't know, the liberal view. And then when it comes to all of those questions, we sort of feel as though we are forced to pick between one of those two options, that those are the only two groups that we can fall into, and, and that as soon as we do, we are thereby declaring that the people who share the opposite view are the enemy. Sometimes it feels like a bit of a trap, doesn't it? So what do you suppose Jesus said? Who's right? The strict ones or the lax ones? Interestingly enough, Jesus answered their question not by picking one of those two competing views. He answered their question by asking them a question of his own. He said, well, what did Moses command you? What does Moses have to say about marriage? And when Jesus asked them that question, they simply assumed that Jesus had in mind the very same verse from the book of Deuteronomy that they were thinking of. After all, that verse was written by Moses. And so they quoted it back to Jesus. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Only it turns out that that wasn't at all what Jesus had in mind. Jesus reminded them that the only reason Moses wrote that law permitting divorce was because so many people's hearts had become hard. So many people in Israel no longer cared about God's plan for marriage, but God's plan for marriage was originally expressed, not in Deuteronomy, but when describing the very first marriage between Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis. And so, in fact, Jesus quotes a couple of verses from Genesis that tell that story, verses that were also written by Moses. So, realize what Jesus is doing here. They come with this question about divorce, and, and when Jesus responds by saying, well, what does Moses say? They immediately go to the passage where sinful behavior is permitted rather than going back to God's original plan. In other words, Jesus was trying to help them see that when it came to marriage, their focus, their attention was in all the wrong places. He was trying to help them see that it was they and not he who were trapped about marriage. And friends, that's the real trap that the devil wants to set for us as it pertains to marriage. It's not the trap of a feeling as though we have to pick between two competing viewpoints, one the strict conservative view and one the lax liberal view. Really the trap is that when it comes to marriage, all of our focus is on marriage as a societal issue. That when it comes to marriage, we are absolutely obsessed with what human legislation permits. And that when that legislation about what is permitted in marriage changes, whether that's in a conservative direction or in a liberal direction, we either react with very intense applause or very intense outrage. 
The trap is that really everything we know about marriage, everything we, we say about marriage, everything we think about marriage pertains to what human legislation permits. That's the trap. Jesus helps us avoid that trap in two important ways. First of all, he reminds us that the only reason human legislation sometimes permits sin is because human hearts have become hard. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us one bit when that happens. That when a society is full of sinful people who not only tolerate sin but often embrace sin, it shouldn't surprise us one bit when human legislation actually allows sin to go on. Not a shocking thing. And not only should that not surprise us, it also shouldn't distract us. It shouldn't distract us from the real mission and the real work that Jesus has given us as his church to do. In fact, I want you to think about this sentence for a minute. When a society is full of people whose hearts are hard toward God and his word, it is inevitable that human legislation will permit sin. What's the biggest problem in that sentence? What is the part of that sentence that we would most like to fix? What is the part of that sentence that we would be willing to spend the most time and energy and passion and resources trying to undo if we could? If it's the part where human legislation permits sin, instead of the part where human hearts are hard toward God, we've become distracted. In fact, when human legislation changes what is permitted as it pertains to sin and, and changes what is allowed, the world certainly doesn't need our applause, but they really also don't need our outrage. I've said this before, what our society really needs, what people really need from the people of good news is the good news. That is the only thing that can soften a heart anyway. The good news of what Jesus has done to save us from our sins. Otherwise, as Christian author C.S. Lewis creatively put it, he said, we will be like people running around with a fire extinguisher when the real problem is a flood. So Jesus keeps us from, from getting distracted. He also helps divert our attention and our focus to the right place. You see, when we are obsessed with what human legislation permits, another negative side of effect of that is we become oblivious to what divine institution of marriage provides. And that's exactly where Jesus wants our attention and our focus to be. Like I said before, he quotes a couple of verses from the book of Genesis where the first marriage is described. And in Genesis, God says, and Jesus here affirms, that marriage is what happens when two people, when one man and one woman join their lives together. Yes, those are God's intended participants in marriage. Marriage is when one man and one woman pledge their lives to one another, promise to one another that they are no longer going to think of themselves as individuals, but are going to think of themselves as one half of a couple. 
when they promise that they are going to share everything with each other. Their, their wealth, their time, their bodies, their emotions, their frustrations, their ambitions, their celebrations. When those two people promise that they are always going to put the other person first. In Genesis, God says, and, and here Jesus confirms that those two people are joined so closely together that it's almost as if they've been bound with inseparable superglue. That those two people are joined as one and are not to be separated as long as both of them live. Now, it might be easy for us to say, well, that sounds like a really good plan if the two people involved are perfect, as was the case with the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. But it's maybe a little bit tougher to see the beauty and wisdom of God's plan when the two people involved are not perfect, as is the case with every single marriage sense, right? One writer put it this way. He said, why would selfish, neurotic, immature people suddenly become angels simply because they fall in love? And without a doubt, it's that strife, that strife that inevitably develops when two imperfect people are sharing their entire lives with one another that causes people to think that maybe marriage is just a trap or that maybe marriage is out of date. But friends, as Jesus talks about marriage, he, he wants us to realize that marriage is more than just a plan. It's more than just a, a blueprint. It's more than just a set of rules and guidelines that we're supposed to follow. It's also a very beautiful design that is intended to provide us with countless, priceless blessings. And not just when that marriage involves two perfect people, but even specifically when that marriage involves two imperfect people. The first thing that God's design for marriage is bound to provide is that it exposes us for who we really are. I'm sure you're well aware that you can fool a lot of people about yourself, right? But in addition to God, there is one person that you can't possibly fool, and that's your spouse. In front of your spouse, everything is known, everything is seen. There are no secrets, there is no fooling. And because God's plan for marriage is that you would always put the other person first, do you know what marriage is going to inevitably expose about each one of us? Just how self-centered we are. Just how much we hate putting another person first. Marriage shines a big, huge spotlight on that fact inside of us. Now, if that doesn't sound like a wonderful blessing to you, think again. Because if we could fool absolutely everyone, including our spouse, guess who we would eventually fool to? We would eventually fool ourselves into thinking that we really are pretty good people, that God really should be happy with us, and that we really deserve nothing but good things from him. And there isn't a trap much more dangerous or deadly than that. Since marriage exposes that inward, incurable self-centeredness inside of us, it is also designed to deliver this earth-shattering, 
and life-changing blessing of unconditional love. That in spite of everything I just said, someone still loves you simply because they have promised to do so. Gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what Adam and Eve experienced perfectly in the Garden of Eden, that they were, that they were naked. To be completely exposed in front of another person for everything to be seen and everything to be known, and yet that person loves you anyway because that love is unconditional. It is such a wonderful thing and a wonderful blessing, and, and marriage is designed to deliver it. Now, of course, our spouse can only do that imperfectly, right? In fact, sometimes it might even seem as though our spouse doesn't do that very well at all, just like we don't do that very well at all. And so marriage is also designed to deliver the wonderful blessing of pointing us to and driving us toward the one who can, of causing us to run to Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, the one who doesn't just have unconditional love for us, the one whose unconditional love for us caused him to stop at nothing and spare no expense simply so that one day he could present us as his bride, holy, perfect, spotless before his Father in heaven. Marriage drives us to Jesus, the one place where all of that self-centeredness is covered. The one place where every heartless action is paid for, every careless word is forgiven. The one place where everything that marriage exposes about us is wiped clean. Where we can truly be fully and completely exposed and yet feel absolutely zero shame. Those are the blessings that God designed marriage to deliver. That's his plan for this wonderful institution. And so it's no wonder that the devil wants to turn it into a trap, that he wants us to be obsessed with what human legislation permits so that we stay oblivious to the wonderful blessings that the divine institution delivers. It's not simply so that he can ruin marriage. It's not simply so that he can change how society defines marriage. It's so that he can rob us of the blessings God wants to give us and ultimately rob us of our eternal salvation. So friends, I, I think here's the best marriage advice I can possibly give for you. Don't fall for it. Don't be distracted. And don't be surprised by the sin that human legislation permits. Instead, celebrate the incredible blessings that God's institution delivers. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.